We're related. Just need a ladder. Um, well, hey, it's uh, it's pretty neat to be here today um, for a number of reasons. One, I look around here, and uh, I know almost everybody in the room. Um, I think I went to church with a number of you. Some of you babysat me. Some of you dealt with my brother in college. Some we babysat. <laughs> um, yeah, Matt Morris lived with us for a little while. That was the best Nintendo days of my life. Um, yeah. I, I knew that the red was coming. Anyways, um, well, I uh, my name is Brian McCormick. For those who don't know me, um, I grew up here in Laconia, and the way I'm gonna the way I'm gonna do things is I'm gonna share a little bit about how God brought me to where I am now, um, what I'm seeing in the state as in regards to the spiritual battle. I'm gonna broaden that first out to the nation, and then bring it back into the state, and I'm gonna tell you about how I see us being an effective change in that, and. Um, I got a very interesting change of perspective when God brought me into this job. So it's pretty cool I get to come up here and share that with you. Um, so how God brought me to Cornerstone, I was actually here in Laconia, and I was very, very frustrated. Graduated from college, worked for the Mitt Romney campaign. I hated every minute of it. Um, worked 18 hours a day, every day of the week, and walked out of that having lost. And um, was in a pretty tough place. Uh, didn't know which way was up, didn't know which way to go. I ended up working with Ross Goju back there at uh, Amos Gag Beverages um, and really knew that there was more for my life but didn't know how to get there. You know, God had, had told me from a very young age that, that he had a, a place for me somewhere. I didn't really know what it meant. But as I continued forward, I knew it wasn't here. And so I lamented about that. I got very frustrated and um, really started to cry out. And one thing led to another, and I took a job down at St. Anselm College as a teacher's assistant for free. And that was a major leap of faith uh, because Sally Mae owns my life, and she's, uh, she's a pretty cruel taskmaster, we'll just say that. And so I, I just followed. I just said, Lord, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, and I'm going to go for it. But in that time prior to that, um, I really learned what being in a season of being was like. And if you know the difference between being and doing, if you're a doer, being isn't easy. And I had been a big-time doer in college. I was a doer on the campaign and got shoved into a season of being. And it really challenged me to just say, okay, give it up. Just give it up. Give it to the Lord. Let him lead you. Let him take you where he intends to. So I took this job, this opportunity, um, no pay. And... Um, as I was, I was about two weeks into being down there, and I got approached by a friend of mine who went to St. Anselm with me. And she was the former executive director of Cornerstone. And she met with me for about five minutes. She said, look, I'm leaving. They don't know yet. I'm going to D.C., and I want you to take my job. And I said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I will never work in politics again. I want nothing to do with it. And um, that's that. So she explained to me, what Cornerstone does. And she said, you know, we are a family policy council. Um, we're, we're tied to focus on the family, and what our goal is is to strengthen and put input into families across New Hampshire from a legislative perspective. Now, that's a lot different than you work in politics to me. And as soon as, sh as, soon as I realized that this was the aim and goal of the organization is to strengthen New Hampshire with families and for families, God spoke to me right then and there and said, this is what I've called you to do. 
And I said, okay, let's go. Um, my first day was on January 1st of this year. I sat in on a legislature where they, I got a very, very, very bleak vi vision of what we have in New Hampshire as they passed a law um, that they actually seemingly was one thing but gutted the whole thing to bring another one in. So right away I got to see what we're up against. And that means that on the title of the bill it says it's for transportation, but really it was about health care. And it's a way that they move things through without, without anybody able to see what's going on. You probably wouldn't even hear about it because the bill number and what it said had nothing to do with what was in it. Um, so right away, I said, wow, okay, this is, this is some pretty insidious stuff we have going on here. Um, but I want to I focus on being brought there for a minute. Um, I know without a shadow of a doubt God's called me here. And what I'm doing, you know, going around speaking in churches and sharing with each and one of you, every one of you, is because that's where my heart is for this. It's not political gain. It's not to move myself forward. I was just talking to Matt about this, actually. I've been offered jobs three ways to Sunday, some very enticing. And when they said, you know, what's it going to take to get you here? And I said, you can't. And I said, well, what, I'll, what, what's keeping you there? And I said, God called me here. And response, well, I can't compete with that. And I said, no, you can't. <laughs> um, even though the number was pretty close. Um, but uh, so being in that position, walking into it, you know, I'm, I got an undergraduate degree. I don't have a master's degree. I don't have a law degree. I don't have a, a master's degree in political science. Um, I grew up right down the road here in Laconia, playing for Laconia High School hockey. And most of you, I'm pretty sure all of you know my parents, uh, Mary and Wayne McCormick. Um, I knew that. I knew that coming into this. Um, and I walked into the State House for that first day. You have to wear this bright orange badge that says the name of your organization and your name. Well, everyone there knows what we represent. We represent con conservative Christian values. And no one would talk to me. <laughs> so I'd, I'd go to say something to somebody. They'd turn around and walk away. They'd be like, I just want to say hi. I mean, <laughs> first, first day, it's like being the new kid on the playground um, all over again. And so uh, I said, Lord, you know what? how am I going to do this? How, how am I going to be effective for your kingdom? And very clearly, he, sh he said to me, first, it's going to be the love of Christ, and then second, the work of Christ. So I just started saying hi to everybody. How are you doing? What's going on? You know, whether they are with us or not. And um, it ended up opening some doors down the road, which I'll share about later on. But I'll tell you what, um, the love of the Lord, the love of Christ is more powerful than we could ever imagine. I get to see it every day in what I do. Um, so Moving into what I see as a broader perspective across the nation, I'll give you a little history first. Um, if you look at the foundation of our nation, um, there's a gentleman by the name of George Mason. I don't know. How many, how many of you know who George Mason is? Yeah, he's oh, right class, across the right class. Um, well, George Mason was one of the founding fathers, and you don't get to hear about him so much because he didn't lead any charges. He didn't cross the, the, you know, the river into Trenton. Um, he didn't die on the battlefield. He didn't freeze his fingers off in Bunker Hill. What he did do was fight vehemently for the freedom of slaves, but also for the Bill of Rights. Um, when we had the Declaration of Independence presented to our founding fathers, George Mason, and this th it's so funny to me because we think about these guys as these you know stout you know conservative folks who didn't really know about they were rebels. Every single one of them was rebels that said, we're not going to do what they're doing over there. We want to do it here. We're going to do it our way. And if you don't like it, we'll fight you for it. And George Mason fought the founding fathers. So he was a real rebel. 
And what he did, he said, you know, I'm not going to sign the Declaration of Independence because you guys are missing something crucial here, and that is a Bill of Rights. And that means that without this, you give executive authority to man. And he said, we need rights ordained by God, and if we don't have them, we are handing ourselves over to a government and to people who do not understand fully the entirety of human beings. God does. So if we give that, we foundationalize that in our Constitution, we're going to be set. Um, well, he had, he had a couple other prescriptions for the Constitution, which they ignored, but they took that. And then he signed the Declaration of Independence because he said, you know, we got this, we're good. So why is that important? Well, if you look at our nation across the past 20 years, 30 years, maybe even 50 years, you see a directive of the removal of God from any institution possible, from the pledge, from our money, from, <laughs> from God, you know, our national anthem, you see it from our schools, you know, that, and that's a very real place that you see it because you can't read your Bible at schools, but you can read the Quran at schools, all right? Um, you want to have a Bible study, you can't have it. You want to have a, a study regarding Islam, you can do it. Um, so you see it in a very real way right now across our nation. <coughs> now, it's becoming more poignant. If you, I don't know, how many of you are familiar with what's going on in Houston right now or what happened in Houston? Um, well, to give you an idea on that, um, that's, that's not the first time something like this has happened. And the, the truth is, it's part of this agenda nationwide. Because if you remove God from the situation, you give executive authority to man. And that's what they want. They want executive authority to, to control what you do, what we do, to say, we don't have a God out there to tell us what's right and wrong or to protect any one of you. And that's not a place of fear. That's just truly what's happening. They know. If, you, if they want the authority, they, if they can... If, how they get the authority they want is by taking God out of the equation. Because he is our overall, our divine protector, and he gives us what they cannot. So in Houston, um, what's, ha what's happened there is um, the mayor of the city has subpoenaed the, the pastors to hand over their sermons because it contained politically sensitive material based on an issue. <coughs> and for and I'm, I'm going to dance across this line pretty carefully because... Um, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. I'm pretty sure they're listening on my cell phone right now. Um, so <laughs> um, that's what they do. But um, it was on a, it was on a uh, transgender issue coming from the church. And that's, a, that's illegal. That's an that's infringement on your First Amendment rights. Now, the, what will happen, uh, and she actually recanted. She, she retracted the subpoena um, about a couple of days ago, which is totally the Lord. But if they had gotten through with it, there's also a pastor in Idaho right now who had a very similar directive, actually not just a directive, they are, he's threatened jail time and a $180,000 fine for not, for not in participating in a, in a homosexual marriage. And he's a, in a bit of a different situation because it's a for-profit company, it's a chapel. But the reason that's important is what they were going for in Houston is to revoke the tax statuses of the church. If that happens, they by law can come in and enforce a... <coughs> Hey, um, sorry, I was yelling at hockey players all night last night, so if my voice goes up and down, I apologize. Um, they can enforce a discrimination act on the church and, and really shut the doors. Um, so that's the agenda. That's what they're trying to do. Um, in the state, we saw something very, very similar this, very, this year. Um, they wanted to put a piece of legislation in on sexual orientation in our state's constitution. Um, and before I go further into that, I want to I share with you really something really beautiful. Because that all sounds scary and doom and gloom and all that. 
but we serve a God that's greater. And I have a story for you about how I get to see that every single day. Um, so in, uh, if, you, if you go to Romans what is it, 11.20, and you see it talks about how we are to stand. You know, you see it again in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. And I'll tell you, that's been my life story all along. You know, before when I went and took that stand down in, at, at St. Anselm, I said, you know what, God, I'm going to stand on what you told me to do. So I went, and he moved me, you know. And so we enter into these fights, and I'm no lawyer. <laughs> I'm no politician. In fact, I tried to run from politics, as I mentioned. I am a believer. And in everything that I do, whatever's coming out of my mouth is because I'm standing and God has given it to me. And so back to this fight. Um, we had a piece of legislation that passed the Senate 24 nothing um, to tie sexual orientation to the Constitution, which goes back into that battle for the churches. And um, we're, in we're in big trouble there. Um, the, way our, the way our state's made up, the House of Representatives is not friendly to us at all. And we knew that this was going to be it. This was coming in. This meant lawsuits across the state for churches. Um, we were in trouble. So we jumped on it. We started fighting it. Um, got some great coverage from the press. Got some great coverage from some churches in the area. As we're going into the hearing, I really felt like God asked me to call and pray for a pray with a couple of men that have been influential in my life. One was my dad. <coughs> one was Owen Carey, and one was Dennis Boulder. And and any of you know Dennis? He was a former legislator. He was a former representative. Well, they each prayed a very similar prayer, except for Dennis prayed something very unique. And he said, you know, um, I pray that anything that is not the truth of the Lord, the truth of the kingdom, would come across as confusion. And that anything that was not aimed at inciting the, the righteousness of the Lord would confuse the enemy. So we go into the room, and they packed, the place is packed. Everyone showed up. They actually had to move the hearing because so many people showed up to the room, which is awesome. Um, all, all in opposition. So we sit down, and to give you an idea, they give you about 10 minutes to share, maximum. Like, that's the max. And the sponsor of the bill was given 45. So you knew right away, you know, that, that the chairman and the committee was very favorable to the situation. So we're sitting there, we're listening, and the second guy gets up, another sponsor of the bill, and identifies himself as an openly homosexual guy, um, comes up, talks about how he's been fighting for the rights for a long time, he talks about how, you know, where he lives, what he does, how he's run for state rep. In the end of his testimony, he says, and I'm here to oppose the bill. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there nudging my, my you know, my, <laughs> my secretary. I went, did, did, I, did I hear that right? Was it, did he say that right? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, they took an hour and a half trying to figure out why he opposed the bill. It was sheer confusion. It was sheer confusion. That bill died in that room that day. It never came back, and it was an answer to prayer. And that's, that's the hope we have. Can we do it as men? No. But when we stand, and we stand in the confidence of the Lord, he can do it, and he will do it. In fact, he's doing it all across the nation right now. You're seeing it in Houston pastors. You're seeing it out in Idaho. You're seeing it in the college professor who went on a seven-year legal battle to keep his job, keep his tenure, because he was speaking about religious freedom and religious principles from his, in his classroom. And they won after seven years of fighting this. You know, how many of you have seen that movie, God's Not Dead? Um, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to see it. Great movie. 
Um, but at the end of the movie, if you if you look, there's block text right before the credits. Um, and that's actually, <coughs> those are all legal cases that have been won across the nation for religious freedom. Um, and I take that as a huge encouragement because as God's people are standing, he's rising up for them. And we need to remember that as we're being part of the public square, as we're working in our own personal lives, as we're in anything, those moments when we feel like we're not strong enough, he is, and he will stand, and he will give you insight, and he will give you the wisdom that you seek, um, even though sometimes it's hard to accept that. So that's a, that's a little perspective into where we're at. Um, now, it seems pretty bleak, but I want to tell you, we're the answer. We are the answer. God, God is the ultimate answer, but we are the ones who can change this. To give you some more insight into that, I'm gonna, I want to talk about why, why I can, why we are, and how we are, and that's through the family, the family of the church, and the family inside the church. Um, in 2010, we had the very first year ever that there were more children born out of wedlock than here. Um, he, crazy statistic. It was 51 percent. 51 percent of children born that year were born out of wedlock. Um, and it's only gone up since then. So us being the answer is going to come from the inside. How do we do that? Um, it's the family. And it's the family here. It's the families that we have inside of here. Um, we know God's the answer. But how is God being implemented in the society? You're seeing the, the direct removal of God, but the second step is the destruction of the family. In, 19, in the 70s, you see the denuclearization of the family. So that means that people are, it's kind of that attitude. You get to college, you move out of college, you move away from your parents, you start your life somewhere else. Well, before that, communities were how it worked. Grandparents raised the kids when you weren't around. That's how I was raised. If I wasn't with my mom, I was with my aunt and my uncle, moving bags of coal out of the basement. Um, <laughs> strong um but you know there, there's more to that than just the fact that you have a free work hand it's that the same values are being implemented in your children and you know that and I'm, i understand everyone's in a unique situation but the truth is that's what god has called us to that's what he wants for us he wants us to be a part of family um and to give you a, a direct example of the of the affront on this if you look at tax codes across the united states it is actually set up so that single mothers lose when they get married. Um, and there's been a, a lot of polling done and, say, and questions asked, do you want to do this alone? That's a simple answer, a simple question. Do you want to go through this life? Do you want to raise this child? Do you want to do this by yourself? And the resounding answer by like 98% is no, I don't. And that's not a, that, that doesn't come from a, a religious organization. That is just simply, do we want marriage in the United States? So the answer is yes there. But... The United States government has set it up in such a way that if they leave their single status, it's, it's, it's harder as a married couple to raise a, ch a child in today's society. So you see the government setting it up in such a way that they're not just taking God out, but they're trying to kill families. And they know. It's because they know that's, where, that's how we change things. That's how we become countercultural. And that's really the key word is countercultural. And how do, how do we do that? We go out there and we stand on our principles, and we don't back down, you know? And so many people see us as aggressive, they see us as um, abrasive or offensive, 
And the truth is, if you're bringing the love of Christ into folks' lives, it's not only going to change them, it's going to change you, and it's not something we have control over. Um, it's something that I've watched work in the legislature. I've watched work in my, my personal life. Try, yet, trust me, if you can love a hockey player, you can love anybody. <laughs> and I love a team of them twice a week, three, maybe four times a week. And I've watched God change these lives. Um, <laughs> good man. Um, boyfriend's a hockey player, right? Daughter's boyfriend? They're the same thing. Very nice. <laughs> We're a strange bunch. Um, we are. But anyways, um, inside of that, when we, when we go into this and we work on this in, in our personal lives, you know, we think about how God is effective in our personal lives. We think about how he's affecting others through us. We think about, you know, the number of gifts we have, pastoral, evangelical. But we don't think about it oftentimes in terms of how God's using that inner family and how our family's being integrated in society. And I'll tell you, we are in a position right now to be an incredible change. Um, if you go up to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, um, there's a guy by the name of Byron Grant. I know a number of you may have met him. Um, he started just providing after-school services, outreach for elderly care. Um, well, the state took note of it, and now not only does he do elderly care, they have a Salvation Army type deal up there where they give out free food and clothing and now it's vehicles and furniture. Um, and now they actually, the state has actually sold them the rec center, the, the Portsmouth rec center for a dollar. And they're providing the after school mm -hmm. services for the surrounding area um, at half the cost from a Christian perspective. And the reason is because we are in deep need. The society is in deep need. So if you look at what's going on with families, you, know, you, tell, you see that more children being, are being born out of wedlock. You see how the non-fault-based divorce has changed society, literally changed society. That's why 75% of our marriages end up in divorce. They're crying out for the answer. And up until the last couple of years, the government was saying, we can be the answer. We're going to be the answer. We can, do, we can do better than what your church can do. Well, I'll tell you what, Byron has answered that call and said, no, what you need is Jesus, is not a and it's not a handout. It's consistent. It's a, it's a fishing rod. It's not just a fish. And that organization has grown to be a $2.4 million organization that's integrated with state operatives. Um, that's unheard of for, for faith community work. You know, these guys come in, and, and he's, he's a fireball. And uh, they actually came in and said, you know, we're, we're going to have to ask you to, uh, to take the the Christian part out of your name. <laughs> so he went home. He pulled his offer. He said, we're going to take our dollar off the table. And um, they said, you know, what you said really offended me. Because what we do do, what we do is from a Christian perspective, and you know it's changing people's lives. The, uh, the town manager who, I mean, town managers don't have more than five minutes a day, called him and spoke to him for an hour and a half, begging him to take the deal again. And now they have the rec center up and running, full functioning, providing after-school program and food outreach for the, for the local area. Um, so it says to me, especially in New Hampshire, if you go up above, like, uh, I want to say Concord, you know, up, even in Laconia, you start to see it. We're in, we're in deep poverty. We're in poverty. We're in numbers in poverty that rival inner-city New York, L.A., per capita. Um, 
But that, and on one hand, that sounds awful, but the other hand, this is our opportunity to be the answer. And I think a great example of that is the food pantry here. Um, you guys have a fully functioning food, food pantry that really does great work in a way that a lot of places around the state don't see. And that outreach is that is seizing that opportunity to be the answer that the public, the public sector can't provide. They're saying they can, but we're watching it fail before our eyes. And as they start to get Jesus, as they start to get filled by what we have or what, what's, what's powering us, they start to realize, man, I had it all wrong. So now, I mean, you heard it kind of from the cultural perspective, you heard it from the church perspective. How, how does this tie into November 4th? Well, um, you have to vote. You have to vote the right people into the right places to stop these things from coming true. And that's where the organization comes in. And what we do, um, we actually provide a voter guide. There's these cards that are up on the table over here with a link to it. It's all online. And um, anyone who has signed our pledge, you can guarantee, is a Christian conservative candidate. That'll tell you what ones have. They'll tell you where they are. All of that. Now, this isn't about Republican or Democrat or any political party. This is about the Lord. This is about men and women who are going to get up there and represent you for what you stand for. Um, I work with these guys personally in the, when we're in a legislative cycle. And I'll tell you, I watch very, very closely. If they're not doing their job, if they're not voting the way they're supposed to, we, we take note of it and we, we identify it in the next election cycle. But there's a, a strong piece of this that we have to really, really, really take to heart is that we're called to be stewards of our state. You know, we know we're called to be stewards of our family, of our things, of, of a number of things. We're called to be stewards of our state. And my heart is to provide everyone the tools to do it from an informed perspective. Um, and the truth is, if we do it, we will be the change in this state. We will. And many people don't believe that. Even political parties don't believe that. Believe we're we're not to, we're not something to be trifled with. We you know forget that. And you see it in messaging. You see it in po in the politicians themselves. Well, in New Hampshire. There are 550,000 people who identify as Christians. 287,000 of them vote, and about 100,000 of them vote from a biblical perspective. So you look at that breakdown, give you an idea. If you get 380,000 votes in the state of New Hampshire for any race, you win. You win. We can be the change. We can be the force that gets out there and puts the right people in the right places from president all the way down to senator to state rep to dog catcher, you know? And, yeah, I don't know if they vote on dog catcher anymore, but they do vote on school board. But you, that's the thing is that, you know, and I'll, and I'll share a story with you. Um, many of you know my mom. My mom's a very meek individual. Um, and she stayed out of politics for a long time because she didn't want to get into a fight. She didn't know what to say. Well, my... I get text messages and emails from my mom on the different things I've let out, press releases, website postings, Facebook postings. Hey, that's a great article. What do you think about this? You know, so she's paying attention. She actually was making calls to her legislator here in Laconia and flipped a vote. She flipped a vote on a, on, on a casino bet. And my mom, she came to me the other day and she said, you know, Brian, I want to tell you I appreciate what you're doing so much because I know I can trust you. And I know that what you're saying isn't for a political party. It's not for your personal gain. It's because you believe that God wants to take New Hampshire back. And that's the truth. That's the truth. I believe God wants to take New Hampshire back. And I believe that it's through us. Um, 
And I've, sp- I've spoken at a number of churches across the state, and God is opening the doors. He's opening the doors for us to get in and share this message of change and that we can be the difference. But we can't do it unless we get out on Tuesday. Can't happen. And, you know, a really interesting thing about this Sunday, um, you guys all know that the first Tuesday of, the, of November is when we vote during election cycles. Does anyone know why? It's because the founding fathers wanted to give churches the opportunity to preach to their congregation about the election. And that's nationally. And uh, the, the sad thing is, is that they're not doing it anymore. They're not doing it. They don't want to go into the public square. All right. But that's the other part of what we do here and that what I hope to do and use us. You'll see our information on that card. We want to arm you. This isn't about you about you coming to us. It's about us coming to you and giving you the tools to say, no, I have a right to stand. I have a right to believe this. The Constitution protects me. There is, you know, there's, There are organizations out there, Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, Liberty, uh, Liberty Legal Council. These are national law firms that fly all over the United States with teams of lawyers to defend folks who are standing for religious liberty. God is standing for his people. Now it's time to stand for him. You know, in the public square, in our schools, in our families, you know, if we, if we do this, we will be the force of change across the nation, and especially in New Hampshire. Um, I want to I say one more thing about the culture, um, and I want to I want to share one more victory that we had with you guys. Um, you know, when you see in the, I think it was in the 70s, that, that directive of non-fault-based divorce, um, what they basically did is they took the fault away from divorce. So no longer did you have to have one of the four signifiers in order to get one. You can get one for any reason because you want to. Um, that was implemented by a, a Marxist theorist um, who had direct ties to... Um, who is now the head of Planned Parenthood, and also to um, directors of Adolf Hitler. And the communist movement knew that if you were to bring down the United States of America, you had to kill his families. And so when you see that battle, that legislative battle back in the 60s over non-fault-based divorce, you see organizations like Focus on the Family, these Christian, these Christian people, these Christian organizations coming in and fighting vehemently because they knew at that point in time it was going to be the internal implosion of our nation. And it's starting, you're starting to see the effects of it now. Um, and if you look at Planned Parenthood, and I'm not going to go off on Planned Parenthood because it's bad, but um, that's all you need to know I, from, from here. I can tell you more later. But the the death, the genocide of millions is the second part of that. If you talk, if you think about, I think it's 98 million individuals who would be on this earth right now if that organization weren't in existence. And you talk about how it moves from first the destruction of the parents, now you're talking about the destruction of the children. That's a voting force. That's, those are jobs. Those are future geniuses. Those are, fu- those are future entrepreneurs that, that literally has shaped and changed how our nation has ended up. And we need to think about that when we go and vote on Tuesday. Think about the fact that had the right things, had the right people put, been put in the right places, it may never have happened. You know? And 
the beautiful part about it now is that we're starting, we're seeing God stand for those and say, no, I'm not going to take it anymore. I'm not, we are going to pray in my school. I am going to stand up for traditional marriage. I am going to stand for life. And God's coming up behind them and, and, and supporting them in a way that is winning. And so, like, we're not just talking, you know, the local lawyer, you know, fighting for, you know, whether you should have to put your garbage out or not. We're talking about the Supreme Court. You know, God has stood for his people at the highest legal level in the nation and won. Um, so, the lot, la- the, la- the la- why am I doing on time here? I don't know. One, one minute. All right. Um, <laughs> I can't see that clock back there. But, um, oh, I think. That's great. Um, <laughs> um, well, so just one last bit of encouragement before I, I wrap it up here because I know you got another service coming in in about you know, half an hour. But um, we had a fight on the buffer zone here in New Hampshire. And actually, that was one of those bills where they did the same thing. You see the initial, you see the initial title and had nothing to do with it, but they gutted the whole thing. They pulled every, all the verbiage out of it and put something else in. So they tried to do that, but then they, you know, we stopped that one. But they never end it. They never, they never rest. And that's something we have to realize about our enemy. He never stops. Never stops. And we have to remain vigilant. That's something God's been very, very poignant about in my life is consistency. Is being consistent in the word, being consistent in what we're, how we're talking, how we're speaking. Um, but as they continued their fight, they got it through. You know, we fought valiantly, but we, we lost. Well, in a matter of a couple of days, I got a contact from a lawyer out of D.C., and said, look, we want to fight this now, now that it's in the court system. Um, I said, okay, what are we going to do? So we rallied the troops. We got a number of activists from different places around the state. Um, And one thing that actually came out of it is there's a number of clinics around New Hampshire. um, And if you know, the buffer zone basically wanted to put a 35-foot barrier around abortion clinics, meaning that no one could stand in there. And, And if you're an activist, all they're doing is standing there asking to pray with you before you go in, asking to give you an option. And, um, it's, it's an infringement on your First Amendment rights to have that barrier there. There's no question about it. Well, um, the Supreme Court ruled like the couple, about a couple weeks afterwards that it was unconstitutional in Massachusetts. So we knew New Hampshire was unconstitutional. Um, the governor signed the bill anyways. So one thing that came out of it is that these activists started going to all these places. So in places they'd never seen these people before, they're standing outside you know, just oh, asking to pray. And as that continued to happen, this legal team contacted me and they fought it here in New Hampshire, and there is a statewide temporary restraining order that is still in existence today, meaning that that, that buffer zone cannot go up. And it's being upheld by our state officials, saying, no, we can't do this. It's unconstitutional. And then that's in defense of us. That's in defense of those that stand for life. Um, and that's got another example of God standing for his people. So what, what, you, can, what you can do for, for us pray for us. Pray for us. I, I can't tell you the burden that is on me when I walk into that state house. It's a, it's a battle. It is a spiritual battle. And when you're in there and you're working and you're trying to, to bring the kingdom, you know all too well what you're up against because he doesn't want it there. Definitely not there. And the last thing I'll, I'll leave you with, the reason he doesn't want it there is because he knows that if they tune their hearts and their ears to the true lawmaker, he has no ground to stand on. And George Mason knew it at the beginning of our nation. We know it because we do it here, we do it in our families, we do it at home. It's time we make our state know it.
It's time that we, met, we, we, cult we cultivate a countercultural movement to take back not just our state but our nation and bring in people who have their ears and hearts tuned to the true lawmaker.